Hello and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I am one of the pastors here at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota. And I am joined today by my colleague, Pastor Ben Sullivan. Ben, good to have you on. Pastor Ben Jacobson. Hey! Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Yes. Christmas season. We're there. Yes, this is a special Christmas episode. We're excited to talk about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. Um, Before we start, before we get into that special, amazing, life-changing, history-altering story, first I want to ask you, since it's that time where we start to think about our traditions and how we prepare for Christmas... Ben, what is a Christmas tradition that you have had in your life that you've loved? Great question. Uh, Christmas traditions have kind of transformed for me, and I'm guessing for you over the years, too, just Mm -hmm. being a pastor who works on Christmas Eve and so no longer really uh, do the same thing as I used to growing up. But uh, we would always gather on my mom's side, and we would go to church and uh, on Christmas Eve, and church would start at 4, and my mom wanted us there at 2 so that we could save seats for the family. You well, know? of course. So we were the first ones there at church and uh, had to sit around um, and just look at each other for two hours until church started. Um, but then we'd go over to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and we'd have the Feast of a Lifetime. Uh, my Grandpa, Bob, he um, shared with me shrimp for the first time. And he kind of just like dunked it in cocktail sauce and shoved it in my mouth. And it was the worst thing I've ever had, uh, probably to date. And yet, the best thing, because now I love shrimp with cocktail sauce. <laughs> but when you're eight years old and and you get something uh, outside of your own will put in, <laughs> put in there, that was not very good. Yeah. Um, so now, yeah, uh, traditions have changed. Now, instead of uh, not able to spend time with family there, but I spend time with family outside of uh, Christmas Eve. We we kind of find other dates, and usually um, pre Christmas Eve, we'll have a service at the church, and then uh, we'll come. I'll come home afterward, and my wife Jade and I will have our own little Christmas, and so this year we'll get to do that for the first time with our daughter Ruby, so we're excited oh, about that. That'll be so fun. And I it, still need to get their presents, so. It is interesting. Yeah, and by the way, folks, if you're listening to this, and if you're listening before the 24th or on the 24th, there is still time to get gifts. Hopefully on the 24th, if you're on there, that Walmart's not closed yet, so. It is interesting when you think about Christmas and life and how traditions and things morph and change. And, you know, when you, if you're married, things change. If you have children, things change. Sometimes when you work, things change. When you lose someone who's the, the staple, you know, the person who's the center of that tradition, things change. And so I think one of the things about Christmas is is that that just recognizing that a, it's not going to be the same every year, and B, that it, there are things that change, and C, that that's okay, and D, also that that can be really difficult sometimes. Um, we are going to focus today on the thing that doesn't change, the centerpiece of this Christmas uh, year after year after year. I mean, I remember one time my grandma, we always had Swedish meatballs on Christmas Eve, and one time my grandma said, 
we're going to have lasagna. And it was terrifying. <laughs> and it was okay. And I remember actually we okay made this. Okay at best. No, it was great lasagna. And I remember she she wanted to make like a vegetable one. And she had me up at the stove stirring the sauce with her. And it was like an hour of just sitting there stirring this <laughs> white sauce. And, you know, it was a great Christmas. And that was a great memory. And Jesus <laughs> still came into the world yet again. There you go. Right? No matter what, if... Uh, no matter what, and that that's the point of the whole story, that no matter what's going on in life, God comes to be with us. So we're going to look at that story today. We're going to read from Luke, uh, the second chapter. There's multiple versions of of Jesus' birth in the, the Bible, in the Gospels. We're going to look at one that is uh, very familiar in Luke 2. So I will read verses 1 through 20. This is the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. So what words, what phrases, what questions come to you as you hear this read? A familiar passage to you, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, read it every Christmas, sometimes outside of Christmas. Uh, a word and a question. Uh, how do you pronounce 
Quirinius. I think you said Quirinius. Quirinius is what I say. I've usually said Quirinius. I don't think that's right. Um, I've heard it many different ways, and I always stumble. I think I got it, and then I read it in front of like hundreds of people at Christmas time, and I think I always get it wrong. You know, if people ask me questions, I'm sure ask you questions like that all the time of how do you pronounce these words and you know it's interesting even the words that we speak you know tomato tomato same language subjective or or you have you have some people you have some people that'll say you know my brother actually pronounces our last name differently and so how do you say Quirinius well we'd have to ask Quirinius and I don't think we have that luxury right now I think we just do our best did you say your brother pronounces your Mine last doesn't. name? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I was like, Jacobson is pretty Jacobson, standard. there you go. Yeah, but but there are families that um, that pronounce their names differently. And actually, I found out um, that some of our family somewhere back along the line spelled the, our last name differently. It's usually same how family, goes right? So, change and, a and letter we had a, we had, Yeah, right. So what I'm saying is long answer long windy answer to your question i don't <laughs> we'll do our but best. it's a good question another one i had was um i heard this even last week at, uh during our middle school programming I was talking to some of our staff leaders afterward mm-hmm. and they were wondering uh was joseph the one uh who uh connected was joseph the one who connected jesus with david as jesus came from david's line even though Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Um, so we see oftentimes, I, I think I understood the question is, you know, uh, he's not, he's his earthly dad, but he's not, otherwise doesn't have a connection with him. He wasn't uh, the father of Jesus. He is just the not the biological father. Uh, and so the question was, or is Mary from the line of David? So there's more of a direct connection. I didn't think so. Uh, it seemed to be pretty clear from, um, and I think it even says that in the passage, too, that uh, they go to their own town because he's from the line of David. So, mm-hmm. um, And so they went to Bethlehem. Um, so anyway, that was just an interesting thought, you know, how intentional was it that uh, the, the connection was uh, from someone who wasn't actually by blood related to him. And if we go to Matthew's gospel to the beginning and we read the genealogy of Jesus it takes us from Abraham to David and what it says there is uh, I won't read all of it but it says Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus who is called Christ Mm -hmm. so for the most part I think that those things are traced in that time through the line of the father but it's interesting, you know, we know that the genealogy of Jesus includes all sorts of surprises, mm-hmm. right? It's a good question. So Middle schoolers came up with that question? No, it was uh, some leaders afterwards. Oh. So well, middle schoolers typically have the best good questions. Good ones like that, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, uh, one of the things that I always think about is, okay, you know, they give us the names of some places. We've got Galilee, Judea, Bethlehem. I always think it's interesting to, if you can, look at that on a map. Mm-hmm. And and the the th- the reason that was interesting to me today when we read this is because I, I think about when I travel somewhere, the ease of it. You know, I get in my car, and then I just 
drive. That was not what this was like for them. Um, I'm guessing this was like months of travel for them to go to stay somewhere. Um, so yeah, you know, no, that's no GPS back thing. then. No, so. no GPS in here. Yeah, just really no vehicle. Yeah, so it w- I'm guessing it was an arduous, long, tough, difficult journey for them. I can imagine so. So one of the things that we can do when we read a passage, and this is something we can do whether it's familiar or not, is that we can look at it, think about it in like different scenes, different movie clips mm-hmm. almost, right? And this one's broken up in a, a similar way, and you've actually done that, Ben. You've looked at it. Why don't you take us through the the different scenes that we have here and help us yeah, we'll unpack do. them a little bit? Yeah, so almost like a play. So you have scene one, uh, which if you have your Bible open, it's, uh, I'd say, one verse one through seven. Scene two, verses eight through 14. And then scene three uh, would be 15 through 20. So each of them is, you know, about six, seven verses, uh, kind of mm-hmm. walking through them. But... Um, the focus of each scene uh, is really on on different things. And uh, the uh, focus of scene one, as we'll kind of take a look at, is Mary and Joseph. Um, But I kind of want to just walk through uh, this passage here together and kind of unpack, because, again, there's some names here and and really getting, you know, what's the purpose of all of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse 2, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius, I'm going to go there, uh, was governor of Syria, verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. Mm -hmm. So we see a couple names um, and and kind of, you know, most people probably won't be overly familiar with, you know, who are they talking about in this passage. Uh, Caesar Augustus in verse 1 as uh, the great nephew of Julius Caesar, uh, was one of the ancient Rome's most successful leaders at the time. Uh, through the process of the death of Julius and the way that everything played out, um, Caesar Augustus became the first emperor of Rome. And he was instrumental in just transforming Rome in, from a republic to an empire. Uh, what he often would focus on was fighting hard to encourage marital stability, uh, even renewal of religious practices in his day. And uh, during his reign, he instituted a a system of taxation, and part of the process was taking a census, which is to take a count or a a survey of a group of people and uh, to gain information. And so that's what we see here is he issues uh, a decree of everyone in Rome uh, to be counted and and potentially even surveyed. So kind of walking through, you know, who that is. And then uh, Quirinius in verse 2 is a Roman official as well as a military commander. He was a man of great wealth, uh, yet he had a lot of dignity. Uh, sometimes, you know, whenever we're reading a passage like this, we can see a lot of names and we don't really overly think about it or maybe we wonder, you know, why are they giving us these people's names if we're not going to dive into them? Um, and we wonder why it's put in Scripture. It almost seems irrelevant. But what it's actually doing for us is dating for us real-life events that historically took place on the map. Mm-hmm. It tells us as the readers, hey, what you're about to read actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's connecting the census that was taken to a time where a real person was in power over Syria. Mm-hmm. And due to all kinds of references you know, to Quirinius, 
Uh, outside of scripture, we see it checks out because Quirinius lived from uh, 51 BC to about 21 AD, which places him as governor over uh, Syria at precisely the same time that Jesus was about to be born. So many of the uh, great stories begin with a beginning that is familiar to us, and that beginning would be once upon a time. This tells us so much more than once upon a time. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time tells us that maybe this is a true story, maybe it's a fairy tale, maybe it's... This tells us uh, this event is something that happened in in history, Mm -hmm. and Luke is doing that in this gospel for a reason, because the God who entered into the world didn't just do that haphazardly, Mm -hmm. but entered into a particular place at a particular time for a particular purpose. And so Luke's setting that up for us. And that's where, you know, in a sense, the Bible is so much more than a history book, but you can take it in many senses as a history book to really gain, hey, what are the actual real-life events that took place? When did they take place? How did they take place? Who was involved? All those parts. Um, and so all of that, you know, we, we see the timeline, and it leads us to verse 4. Uh, so here's the focus of Mary and Joseph. It says, so Joseph, who at this time was betrothed to Mary, uh, engaged to Mary to be married, uh, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So there we see that that connection again. And uh, what the census did was it required people to go to their ancestral hometowns. We see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, and this was his town. And so to his town he went to register, and uh, we knew that Jesus would be born here, which was a prophecy that was fulfilled. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 6 uh, dives into that. And, and you know, you kind of looked at Matthew 1, Uh, And what that does is, you know, it's this beautiful genealogy that connects Joseph with the line of King David. And so all of this is just simply, again, further solidifying some of the key details so that we can actually rest in the actual content of the historical account without running into roadblocks that could get us essentially off track. Um, And so all this is going, they go to this town. Um, Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Or in other translations we've heard, there's no room available for them in the inn. Mm -hmm. And so this is scene one. Again, the focus heavy on Mary and Joseph. Jesus is born. um, And what... Just something to acknowledge is everything in this scene is lowly. Nothing about this story appears to be luxurious to any extent. Uh, Nothing about Jesus' whole life was luxurious. Everything appeared to be, you know, he was a king, um, but he was a king far different from every other king that had ever existed. Mm -hmm. Uh, His story was uh, a story of being lowly rather than uh, we knew in heaven his name was high and exalted, and he would be uh, reign as king uh, eternally. Uh, but everything outwardly uh, spoke a different story, that he was more of a humble king than the kings that were full of earthly riches, earthly uh, possessions, earthly power, all of these things. His power was uh, given to him from above uh, by his father. Mm. Um, so those are just a couple things to note from scene one. One of the things that I 
strikes me every time is when I read there's no room for them in the inn or the guest room mm-hmm. or wherever it is, as I look at Christmas and how full life gets and how full this season gets, one of the questions that I ask myself is, is there room for him in the midst of my life? Mm-hmm. Have I made room for him? And sometimes the answer to that question is, no, I haven't. And then I need to make an adjustment mm-hmm. uh, in my routine or in my day or in my plans because it's easy to forget that even though this story is the centerpiece, sometimes the stuff around it gets pretty loud. Absolutely. And I think that's you know such a reminder about the important versus the urgent, because in Christmas it feels like everything is just going so fast. There's so much to do. Everything is so busy. And so we feel a lot of urgent things that are taking place. We got to buy gifts. We have to go make food for everybody. We got to um, plan out you know, travel, having people at our house, going somewhere else. And, and so... And it's all got to be perfect. Yeah. Well, it can't be. But that's the stressful part of... Yep. It feels like there's a lot of weight on our shoulders. A lot shoulders. of pressure. Yep. Um, and so that is really the invitation of Christmas. Like, instead of doing that, while we're doing all this stuff, hey, there's a baby being born in Bethlehem. Um, you're invited. You can come. Uh, it's going to be uh, far greater than... All the other things that so often we we spend our all of our time, all of our attention, all of our um, you know mental energy uh, worrying about. It's going to be better even than shrimp with cocktail sauce. <laughs> that is true. That is true. All right, scene two. Scene two. So first scene, Mary and Joseph. Scene two. We're going to uh, begin to look at the life of the shepherds. Uh, so we're going to kind of shift. So verse eight says and. and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Uh, I'll pause there. Verse 9, angel of the Lord, we don't know exactly, um, but it's quite possible that this was uh, the angel Gabriel. Uh, we see Gabriel mentioned uh, multiple times in the, the Christmas story. We see him mentioned uh, quite a few times in Luke 1. Uh, he appears to Elizabeth and to Zechariah as they're going to uh, be pregnant with John the Baptist. He appears to Mary uh, and uh, tells her that she is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus. Uh, even in Matthew chapter 1, uh, later on in that chapter, we see that Gabriel uh, talks with uh, Joseph to tell him, hey, the, the woman you're with is having a child, and, and this child actually is the Son of God. She's not... Um, making this up to give him assurance. And so what we really see is Gabriel is really instrumental in in the whole story of what's happening here. And so that's right. I would assume that that's who this is speaking of, um, that God is using him to be his mouthpiece. And then verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So that's the end of scene two. Again, the focus is really on the shepherds. And I think it's just fascinating to know that God, again, chose the lowliest of people, shepherds, to be the very first ones to experience the virgin birth. Yeah. 
He didn't choose kings. He didn't choose queens or political. He didn't even choose religious leaders of that day, but shepherds, these dirty, poor, yet very resemblant of Christ, who Scripture later tells us would be the good shepherd. Hmm. Um, and so it's just, again, there's nothing glamorous about any of this, and yet I think it communicates such a con- worldly contrary message uh, that um, those who normally would, you know, you would think that would be the first to be invited, um, you know, he, he's actually inviting those who who by our world standards would have had no chance to go and see the greatest event ever ever to happen. Mm-hmm. And some, uh, night, some night shift workers who were out working hard in the field become it, the ones who who get to hear the story first. And it really answers the question of what is the message of Christmas? I think, you know, this this passage gives us three things. What is Christmas? It is good news, it is great joy, and it is for all people. Mm. So to really spend some time with that good news, uh, it reminds us Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world through himself. You know, John three sixteen and 17, um, that this is good news. Um, they had been waiting for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, for this to come. Uh, this was not a, oh, shoot, you know, uh, this he's going to be a king and he's going to rule over us and it's going to be awful. Uh, but this was all good news that was received, secondly, with great joy. And, uh, you know, we, when we think about Christmas, yeah, sometimes we think of Christmas as a, jo- a great joy. Sometimes we, this is a painful season for people for various reasons. We lose family members, friends around this time of the year. And and we have to experience Christmas without them. Uh, there's a lot of sin, a lot of pain. But the message is in all of that. I want anyone who's listening here today to hear these words. Even in that pain, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. Uh, even in the midst of the, the worst that this life has to offer, that he came and he entered into it uh, to be with us, uh, to be experience that pain you know talk about jesus having a lowly life uh, he took the lowest form of a servant by humbling himself to death even death on a cross as philippians 2 says so um this is truly good news it is great joy uh that uh in the midst of all the realities we have man there's a savior who has come and the the thing is is this is for all people Jesus, you know, did say, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father by yet by me. Uh, we know that he is the only way to the Father, uh, the only way to eternal life. However, we need to keep in mind that this promise is for anyone. All people can and should come to Christ. No one is socially, economically, racially, or any other reason secluded from Christ. Uh, that's the beauty, beauty of the gospel. It's Jew and Gentile alike. It's not a particular group of people that gets the experience. This is for all people. It's interesting, the proclamation that is made about who Jesus is. He is Christ and Savior, uh, Messiah, some translations will say. And, and in finding out that he is that one, that Jesus, this baby, is the Savior of the world, I think we also find out who isn't. Uh, we started with Caesar Augustus, mm-hmm. Quirinius, 
often we look to those leaders Mm -hmm. to be the Savior. There are other things we look to in our lives to be our Savior, whether it's our own personal comfort or security or the things that we own and have. We look to them to be our Savior. This is a clear proclamation that that it's not those things, Mm -hmm. but this is who it is, this baby. And then we get to find out what that means. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to think about, okay, the baby comes into the world and they wrap him in these strips of cloth. When Jesus grows up and he dies, Luke's gospel tells us they wrap his body in strips of cloth. This story is going somewhere. Jesus comes into the world and is clothed with this mm. humble uh, clothing. He dies, and in the same way, he is clothed with this humble clothing. And it's in him that we find out what we truly need in terms of a Savior. And that's someone not who will give us everything we ever wanted, but someone who will give us the thing that we can't give ourselves, which is salvation and the forgiveness mm-hmm. of sins. Man, uh, that's so cool. I haven't thought about that comparison before. Even in his simple birth, we knew that there were so many, you know, things pointing to the cross, the empty tomb, you know, that a Savior has been born to you. We see that. But even in what he's wearing, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was powerful. We ready for scene three? You know, I think we are. I'm just combing over scene two. There's, we could spend all day on it. But yes, let's let's do scene three. Continuing, yeah. I mean, just... Scene two, ending with the appearing of the angel. They're all praising God. I mean, this the birth of Christ is worthy of our highest praise um, every single day of our lives, but especially this event. This is uh, to come down and out of this place of joy, good news that is proclaimed, uh, that is for all people we can gather uh, and we can sing glory to God who is in the highest heaven. Uh, scene three uh, is really where these two first scenes come together. And so we see in verse 15 through 20 that um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, are there in the uh, stable. And then, of course, we uh, see the shepherds who uh, come and join them in this significant event. And so verse 15, it says, When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, so Gabriel leaves, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I want to tell, talk a little bit more about that particular phrase in just a moment because uh, there's so much in Scripture which it doesn't just happen. It tells us it happens exactly how the Lord told us that it would happen. Uh, so we'll look at that in a second. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them, there it is again, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So there's just a a very clear sense of excitement. They saw, they heard, and they spread the word. Um, And and in the order, actually, it is as they saw and immediately spread the word, and then other people got a chance to hear and the response was that they were just amazed at this incredible story. And then we get to verse 19, it's, uh, which says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I've often wondered, you know, what the purpose, the intent of verse 19 was in the Christmas story. 
you know, while everyone is excited and singing and, you know, just amazed at what's going on, we look over at Mary and she's just calm. Yeah. Uh, she's just treasuring. She's just pondering. You know, nothing's really going to shake her. She's just quietly taking in the moment and pondering it all in their heart. And I just think there's so much to gain in this verse for all of us here. Um, you know, just have, again, as we talked, have you just simply taken time in your busy schedule to pause and to ponder the birth of Christ? Hmm. Even just in listening to this podcast, that's a, a wonderful way uh, to be able to to sit and do that. But uh, even outside of this podcast, just to, to put down a f- our phone, to turn off, uh, you know, any distraction, the TV, uh, and just uh, go for a walk or whatever we need to do, or even just, it doesn't take a long time, but just to take some moments uh, of quiet and peace and just to ponder the beauty of what it is that just took place. Mm-hmm. Especially in, uh, you know, where this all happened and, and we are reminded of this every year. Um, but the more we can come back to it and read it as if we're reading it for the first time. Um, I think that's in many senses how we should read this so that we can feel that same amazement that they felt at this time as well. I wonder if Mary, you know, for her, this was a moment of assurance and affirmation of she had heard all of these things would come to pass and, and then they get pulled away from home and here they are traveling and she has this baby and then there's angels and there's shepherds who come and they say, we've heard what's good. And for her, it's this just another mm-hmm. assurance of the things that God has called you to are happening. Mm-hmm. We all need that along the way, mm-hmm. I think, to be affirmed and uh, know that, yes, <laughs> continue to trust. And he just carries out his promise. And uh, it was very faithful and all of that. And uh, then we just close it all out in verse 20. It says, the shepherds returned. So they came and then they returned. And they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So there it is again. Um, you know, the response to viewing the, the risen or the uh, birth of Christ was just glorifying and praising God. They just had hearts full of song to the Lord for everything that they heard about what would happen and saw that did happen. And then it says again, which were just as they had told them. Um, It just solidifies all of this together. Uh, You know, in Scripture, not only do these amazing events take place, the virgin birth, Christ's sinless life, his uh, substitutionary death on the cross, his uh, glorious resurrection from the empty tomb, not only do they take place, they would be amazing enough if they did, but they take place just as we have been told that they would take place. This is the omniscient work of God, the all-knowing work of God, that he knew exactly how this would happen and communicated it to us how it would happen so that once we saw it, we would know that what it is that we're hearing, what it is that we're seeing, because we're seeing it just as it had been told that we would. Um, And that's the whole story of Scripture as we get a chance to, to read it and then really experience it with our very lives in front of us. The temptation might be for us to say, and many people probably have done this, oh, that's a nice story. We'll pull that out on Christmas Eve and we'll tell it. We'll have a little Christmas pageant 
and then we'll put it away. I think we can do that with faith. You know, culturally, it's it's not new for us to to have this idea that that the God that we worship is a somewhere else kind of God, and that he's up there somewhere else doing something else, and our lives go on and continue day by day by day. This story is the antithesis of that. What it tells us is that God who made the world is breaking into the world to change and reshape and reform every single day of our lives. So this is a story that we tell on Christmas Eve, but it's leading somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's leading to the cross. Where was there room for Jesus? On the cross. That was the place where he was destined to go. And it Mm -hmm. begins in this story. And so I would invite you, if Christmas is a time where you, you pull that story out and you feel like it's right to read it and draw close to it, Continue reading and keep listening. Find a place of worship. Keep coming back. Keep letting this story come into your life, and it will change who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's couldn't say it any better than myself. You know, I always have heard, you know, whenever you read a passage, especially one as significant as this, you always got to ask, what is the so what? You know, if there's not a so what, then this is a wonderful, beautiful story, and it stays there. And it's something that we hear. It's something that we read. Um, but then when we read this and go, so what, we recognize a Savior has been born to me. Uh, not, you know, my neighbor and not that coworker I don't like. Um, yes, them too. But, I mean, this is incredibly personal. A Savior has been born to me. And uh, if Christ, would, if this wouldn't have happened, you know, that's a captivating question I had recently. You know, we were talking about an event that we do for ministry, and we said, well, what's lost if we don't do the event? I want to bring that here. What's lost if this didn't happen? Mm-hmm. If Jesus didn't uh, come to be born, then he would not have lived and dwelt among us. He would not have gone on the cross and taken our sin upon himself, and he would not have raised from the dead so that we could have the hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sin and life unblemished with God forever. But because he died uh, and because he lived and because of all of this, it had to start somewhere and it started when he was born. Uh, and so this is really the the beginning uh, portion of, you know, God who has no, he has no beginning. He was there at the beginning of time, um, before the beginning of time. Uh, has entered into time so that now we could experience all that God has in store for us through this fantastic event. A challenge for each of us this year, this Christmas, when the angels hear, uh, when the angels tell the shepherds, this is Christ the Lord and he has been born, uh, they look at each other after these angels have left, they have this amazing experience and what do they say? They say, let's go. And they praise God with their feet by going to Bethlehem. My question for you and for me, how will you praise him? Now that you've heard this story, maybe for the first time, maybe once again, maybe for the millionth time, how will you praise him? How will you praise him this Christmas? 
invite you back next week. We'll continue our journey through this story that has experienced a new beginning in this Christ child. In the meantime, please share, like. Um, if you have questions about Hope Lutheran Church, visit us at fargohope.org. Uh, Merry Christmas and stay deeply rooted. Thank you.